How many of y'all listen or use like Spotify regularly or like music listening services? Anybody? Um, if we were to put out the songs that we did this morning, like every Sunday afternoon on Spotify, like sent that out via email or put on social media, would y'all like listen to it on your way to work tomorrow morning? Would y'all do that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that'd be amazing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage our folks. We used to do that at the church I came from. We would put the playlist out so... You could turn your, your commute into a worship service, you know what I'm saying, and, and just be filled with the Holy Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit as you go into work. Uh, speaking of music, uh, about six years ago, um, Adele came out with a music video for the song, Hello. And uh, how many of y'all have heard the song before? Y'all listen to secular music? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, just, just playing now. When it was released, uh, the video set the record for the most number of views in a 24-hour period. She had dethroned Taylor Swift. Sorry to all the Taylor Swift fans. But her video in a 24-hour period, the music video, had almost 28 million views. And today, there's almost 2 billion views of the music video for It's the most watched Adele video on YouTube. And for those of you who, like me, uh, like the song, um, if you listen to the lyrics, even though Adele has a very soulful, very beautiful voice, if you listen to the lyrics, it's actually a very depressing, discouraging song. Have you all heard it before, the lyrics, and like actually listened to the song? Have you seen the video? So in this video, she's reminiscing and talking about a relationship she used to have, a romantic relationship she used to have, and now she's thinking about all the good times they've had, but also maybe some of the things she would have done differently. And so she has regrets. And now she's trying to reach back out to her ex-lover to say, hey, can we connect again? Can we try to work things out? Can we even reminisce together? Can we maybe talk about those regrets? But even though she's called a thousand times, he refuses to answer. So the song really is about regrets, which I think everyone in the room here has regrets, amen? I don't know about you, but I've not lived a perfectly faithful, obedient life, and I've got regrets, whether from a week ago or 10 years ago, we all have regrets. And so I think the reason why so many of us can resonate or connect with that song is because we all have regrets, amen? And on top of that, at times, we have felt hopeless to change things, and that's what this song is about. It's about hopelessness, really, about, hey, I'm trying to reach out to this guy who we enjoyed memories together, and we have regrets, and he won't take my call. And hello, this is what I'd say from the other side is the gist of the song. And the reason why I believe, again, so many people connect or resonate with that song is because we wish we could connect and we wish we could deal with some of those regrets. But we, like her, lack hope. And that's what the song is about. It's either about lacking hope or misplaced hope, hope and maybe things can work out again, or hope to live back in the past. It's either misplaced hope or a lack of hope. And I don't know about you all, but for me, uh, I would say I've got regrets. And at times, I've wrestled with either not having hope or having misplaced hope. And so this message today is a very unique message in this Kings and Prophets series, because for this whole series, it's all been prophets who warn us, and they're shouting, and they're screaming these warnings from God because God loves us. But today, it's a gentle whisper for those who are here this morning who lack hope or have misplaced hope. 
For some, this is not going to apply to you. For those of you who like trusted Jesus like at the age of three years old and you've been faithfully walking with him, both you and your spouse have always been pure and never had any wandering thoughts at all and you guys have this perfect marriage because you've been pure emotionally and physically before you got married. Your kid's very first word was not mommy or daddy, but your kid's first word was Jesus, right? <laughs> and I, work, I was in kids' ministry last week. I work with some of y'all kids and I, your kids say Jesus was their first word. Y'all know that tithing is something the Bible talks about, not as the ceiling, but the, uh, uh, not as the ceiling, but as, I mean the roof, but the ceiling is the bottom to start off. And so you've been tithing since you're 18 years old and you've been giving 1% more every year. Now you're giving away 43% of your gross income. God bless y'all for that. <laughs> and anytime you and your spouse fight, it's over. Well, you're less selfish. No, you're less selfish. No, you love me more. No, you love me more. No, you go uh, hunting with your buddies this weekend. You deserve it. You go. No, you go with your girlfriends to the lake this weekend. No, you go. So if that's you, this message probably won't apply to you. But for the rest of us who have lack hope, where it seems like life is coming in on us, like it seems like we just are barely keeping our heads above water in our families or at work or in our lives. For those of us who have misplaced hope, perhaps you are saying, yeah, man, my life is, is, is difficult. It's hard. It feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But your hope is in that vacation you're taking in January to Colorado for a week to go skiing with your family and friends. Perhaps your hope is in that next raise that you're going to get or the next promotion you're going to get. That's misplaced hope because that hope is something that not, will not endure. So for the rest of us who have either no hope or misplaced hope, if you have your Bibles, we're going to find this gentle whisper from Hosea chapter 14. Old Testament, find the book of Daniel, and the first minor prophet is Hosea. Hosea is called the minor prophet, not because he's insignificant and not because he's under the age of 18. A joke, y'all. Y'all missed that one. Is because unlike Jeremiah and Isaiah, his prophecy is shorter. So it's not insignificant, it's not overlooked, it's, it's just shorter. The king we're going to talk about today is Hosea, which sounds just like Hosea with an H. Hosea is the last northern king, the king of Israel. In around 700 BC or so, we can find this in 2 Kings 17, don't need to turn there. Hosea makes an alliance with Assyria. Assyria discovers you've been unfaithful to us. You've kind of, you've been uh, sneaking around on us. And so they attack Israel and they take them into captivity. And this is the beginning of the captivity, either Assyrian or Babylonian captivity. And so here is Hosea, who's a contemporary of Isaiah and others. And he is prophesying right before the northern kingdom is about to go into exile before Judah eventually will be in exile as well. And in chapters 1 through 13, he is shouting, he's screaming, and he tells a story about Hosea himself and his wife Gomer. And Gomer is unfaithful to him. Most likely they have three kids. Two of the kids are not his because he's been, uh, she's been unfaithful. And God uses that as a living, breathing illustration of how God's people have been unfaithful to him. Because frequently God uses what we call prostitution or harlotry as a parallel to our unfaithfulness to him. We're 
God's bride. We're Christ's bride. God is our husband. Christ is our husband. We're married to him. And what God is calling for us is to be faithful. So in chapters 1 through 13, it's God's warning to us saying, if you continue to remain unfaithful, exile is on the way. Your life is going to get incrementally more difficult. You'll go from being up here to being second-class citizens and serving the Assyrians, the wicked Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so in chapter 14, there's a sudden shift. He goes from screaming and shouting and almost losing his voice as a prophet who's sent to, send, uh, sent to give a warning to now a gentle whisper, a gentle, caring whisper. And so this is where we find hope. Look at verse one of chapter 14. The second half there, Hosea 14, verse one. Where do we find hope? When we don't have hope or misplaced hope. For you have stumbled because of your wrongdoing. That word stumble occurs six times throughout the book of Hosea. And because the people of God have been unfaithful, have not faithfully obeyed, Literally, it's, they keep tripping. Let's just say it that way. They keep tripping. They've stumbled. In verse 9, look at verse 9, the very end. But wrongdoers will stumble in them. The first part there says, and the righteous will walk in them, God's commands, but the wrongdoers will stumble in them. So this word stumble is repeated throughout Hosea. And because they have stumbled and have been unfaithful to God, they're about to enter exile and their lives are going to drastically change. And they're going to lose hope. So here's point number one. We've messed up beyond hope. If you've got regrets today, if you've got pains and burdens today, if you're feeling like I can barely keep my head above water, I feel like my marriage is falling apart, my life is falling apart, and I have no hope, you feel like they do. We've sinned, we've stumbled because of our wrongdoing. We've messed up, and now we have no hope. Uh, I've mentioned this uh, recently. My, my heart is still heavy. Uh, someone asked me the other day on my birthday, how, how old do you feel? And I said, my body, I still feel like I'm 30. I feel, feel I can run and jump and do all this stuff and have energy all day, but my soul feels like I'm 70, 80 years old. Uh, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, my wife went to the funeral of one of our elders uh, when we passed in San Antonio who committed suicide. He was a sergeant in the uh, homicide department of the San Antonio Police Department. And he ended his life, and he left behind a wife and three young kids. And it was, a, it was one of the saddest funerals I've been to. It was like a movie. The San Antonio Police Department, they were overseeing the entire funeral. So we got there, and there was like all these officers in their dress uniforms, the police motorcade and the limousines and all that, and all the dignitaries. And the funeral started, and it was like a movie. They had three officers in kilts with bagpipes, and they were playing Amazing Grace as they came down the aisle. And I just began to weep profusely, thinking about my friend and former elder and thinking about his family. And then uh, recently, my wife works at University of Houston and we're big track fans. We saw that Cameron Burrell also ended his own life. And so I began to ask the question, what does it take for life to get so difficult and so hopeless that there's no light at the end of the tunnel? And I heard many stories like that during this whole pandemic and the shut-in and things where people are wrestling with depression and anxiety, and there seems to be like no light at the end of the tunnel. So if that's you, I would beg you, 
beg you, beg you, ask you, plead with you to reach out to somebody. Please do that. To reach out to somebody, to a friend, a parent, a pastor, community group leader. And also, I'd encourage you to keep listening because I would offer you this hope from the scripture today. So the question is, where is your hope? And what is your hope? Because if your hope is simply in that next vacation, that next promotion, as soon as we're empty nesters, as soon as our kids start walking and talking, if your hope is in the next thing, that's temporary hope. And hope is simply a belief or a trust that things are going to get better. And as believers, we have something that no one else has, which we'll mention here in a second. We have a hope that's incomparable. So perhaps you're here today and you believe that you have messed up beyond hope. Here's some good news. Look at verse one again of Hosea 14. Return Israel to the Lord your God. That word return, you can underline that word return. If you're lacking hope today, if you feel like you have messed up beyond hope, if you feel like all the warnings have been given the last few weeks from Ryan and others and myself, as we study the scriptures, the prophetic warnings, and you say, I've disobeyed, I'm living the consequences, and I feel like I'm beyond hope, the command here is to return. And this word return is repeated four times in this last chapter, this gentle whisper. Where again, Hosea has been shouting warning after warning after warning. But in chapter 14, verse 1, he lovingly, gently whispers into your ear and my ear, return. It's the Hebrew word shu, return. Why? Because you stumble because you're wrongdoing. Verse 2, take words with you, and there's that word again, and return to the Lord. Not take your offerings, not take your lambs, not take your uh, uh, oxen. He says, take words out of a heart that is now returning to the Lord, take words with you and return to the Lord. And this is what you pray. Pray to him, take away all guilt and receive us graciously. It's a, it's a call for mercy and grace so that we may present the fruit of our lips out of our hearts that are devoted to you, that are captivated by you. May we gather like this and we worship you. And look at this commitment. Assyria will not save us. Remember, Hosea and other kings had made alliances with Assyria, even though they were commanded not to. So they recognize, hey, we repent. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on our horses. If you remember that message on Solomon, King Solomon was told not to get horses from Egypt. He got horses from Egypt. And so he says, hey, we're not going to depend on our horses and our armies and our weapons anymore. Also, to the work of our hands, to the idols that we've created. No, we say again, our God to the work of our hands. We're not going to worship idols anymore. And again, I don't think anyone in here has an actual statue, a tiki doll or some doll or something that you bow down to. But we as well can say, you know what? I am going to rely on God alone. I'm not going to let a good thing become a God thing. I'm not going to let the creation become the, replace the creator. I'm not going to let my job, my spouse, my marriage, my desires, my dreams, my comfort, my 401k, my savings, my investments. I'm not going to let any of those good things that come from God become a God thing. Why? For you, the orphan, in you, the orphan finds mercy. He's not talking literally about the orphan. So if you're saying today, like, I'm not in a foster home, I'm not an orphan. What is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual orphans. That before you and I became a part of the family of God, 
God adopted us as orphans. He says, you're orphans no longer. And then he says this in verse eight. Look at the end of verse eight. From me comes your fruit. From me comes your fruit. He's letting us know that everything that we enjoy is the uh, uh, source in God. Your job is the resource. God is the source. Your spouse is a resource. Your family is a resource. Your friends, even this church is a resource. I am a resource. But God is your source. God is your source. That's what he's saying here. And then he says again, uh, and the righteous will walk in them, verse nine. So here's point number two. When the Lord is your God, there is always hope. Because he says in verse one, return to Israel to the Lord your God. When God is your God, when the Lord is your God, there is that freedom, that liberty, the opportunity for you at any point, no matter how dark your life is, no matter how difficult your life is, no matter how many regrets pile up in your life, you can come back to God and return to him. There's always hope. There's always grace. There's always mercy. <clears throat> um, The question is, where, where do you find your hope and where have you given up? Where have you let the darkness, where have you let the regrets pile up? Picture this, picture this. Picture that your name is Preston. You're a junior at Princeton. During the whole shutdown, when classes went remote, you had to do all your classes remotely. And so Preston uh, needs a classroom and needs a teacher and professor, and so he really struggles. His grades go from A's and B's down to C's and D's. He even flunks a class. And so one day, he gets an email from the professor. I'm sorry, from the dean. And the dean says to him, Preston, because your grades have dipped below this GPA, below a 2.0, you're going to lose your scholarship, and you're about to get kicked out of school. And so at the very end of the email, it says, now, if you want to talk about this, if you want to contest this, please come to my office, set an appointment, and we can meet. And so Preston sends an email back to the dean and says, hey, let's meet. And they set up a day to meet. As Preston is leaving his apartment, driving to the campus of Princeton University, he gets T-boned by a car that's run a red light. There he finds himself that day in a hospital bed with broken ribs and a broken leg, there, still wondering if he's going to get kicked out of school because of his low grades. He's going to lose his scholarship. How's he going to stay in school? Now only to find himself in a hospital bed. After about a week and a half of recovery, the doctor is getting ready to uh, check him out. The business manager from the hospital comes to his room and says, here's a bill. Your insurance didn't cover certain portions of the treatment. And so he looks at this bill with a very large dollar amount. So can you imagine being a college student at Princeton University? Your grades have dipped so low that you're about to get kicked out, lose your scholarship. Now you've been T-boned in an accident that wasn't your fault. You've got broken ribs, a broken leg, and now a medical bill that you wonder how you're going to pay. To make matters worse, add insult to injury, a lawyer comes in right afterwards and says, the guy that hit you claims that you're the one who actually ran the red light. And so now there is a lawsuit on you. So now you've got impending medical fees, legal fees. You're about to get kicked out. I don't know about you, but if I were Preston, I'd begin to lose hope. I'd begin to wonder, is there any way that this is salvageable? Is the future even bright? But then as you look at this legal document, 
you notice at the very top of the legal document your name. And it says, Preston Bezos. And then you remember something. My dad, and Preston Bezos really is a student at Princeton University. The accident, all that stuff's made up, but... <laughs> he really is a student at Princeton University. Wouldn't your outlook change? Wouldn't your hope change the moment you remember that my last name is Preston Bezos? Wouldn't your outlook suddenly change when you remember who your father is? My father is Jeff Bezos, who is worth $201 billion. And here's the thing. Your hope is not in the $201 billion. Your hope is in your father who loves you, who has all the resources. Amen? And you all, I use that illustration to simply tell you this. Psalm 24.1 says it this way. Our father, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian today, our father, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. He owns it all. From time behind to time beyond, he owns it all. He controls it all. And so if you're here today in a situation that's dark and hopeless, whether financial, health, relational, marital, in parenting, remember who your father is. Remember who you belong to. Remember John 3 and 3, that you are born again into the family of God. You are a child of God. And because of that, you can have hope. So the good news is when the Lord is your God, there is always hope. And I'm going to say it this way. You can write this down. First Peter 1, 3, Christ, Jesus Christ, my living hope. First Peter 1, 3 says that Jesus Christ is our living hope. He is our living hope. Every other thing that you would put your hope in is static or latent. It's a dead hope. That vacation will soon pass. That promotion will soon pass. Even if you put your hope in a living being, your spouse, your pastor, whatever, the weight of your hope will crush that person because they're not sovereign, because they're not all-powerful and all-knowing and own everything. But Jesus Christ is our living hope, constantly moving and flexing to where you need hope. And so if the Lord is your God, if the Lord is your God, Hosea is gently whispering to you and I, there's always hope. There's always hope. Now look at this picture. Look at this picture. Last point here and we'll, I'll sit down. Hosea 14.4. I will heal their apostasy. I will heal their apostasy. They've been unfaithful to me, but if you return to him, repent and return to him, you can find hope that he will, future tense, I will heal their apostasy. That word heal is the Hebrew word rapha. It occurs in Exodus 15, 26, when God, Yahweh, Jehovah God says, I am Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, your healer. He will heal you physically. He will heal you spiritually. He will heal you emotionally. He is our healer. I will heal their apostasy. Look at the second part. And I will love them freely. That's the Hebrew word ahav, the word love there. It occurs 16 times in Hosea. It's one of those themes throughout the book of Hosea. 
Though you have may, may have been unfaithful, you may not love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, one thing that you can count on, God loves you. I will love them freely, with liberty, with generosity. Why? Because my anger is turned away from them. That word turned is that word shub again. It's the negation form of it. Just like we're returning to God, the reason why we can return to God is because now our, uh, his anger towards us is, is fled. It's left him. And here's a picture. Whenever we see unfaithfulness to God, the consequences are barrenness and drought. The picture is barrenness and drought. So imagine a desert. Imagine the western states in America right now. I saw a documentary or news thing on Lake Mead right now. Lake Mead is down to a third of its level. Docks and, and things are like dropped way down. That's the picture of unfaithfulness to God. Barrenness and drought. Now look at this in verse 5. I will be like the dew to Israel. The, 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 the life-giving water, the dew that refreshes and grows. That's what I'm going to be like. Uh, there's a member here at Bison Fellowship for my 50th birthday. He took me fishing down in Matagorda on Tuesday. And as we were fishing, it was, it was hot and humid. We we're out there in the sun, baking, catching tiny little fish. <laughs> and he said, hey, I'm watching this storm coming towards us. There were these storms and rain clouds coming off the, the, the coast. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It's the rain, not raining cats and dogs where you quickly run to your car and like, shelter, but it's not like that drizzle that's just miserable, like, you know, like, uh, like Seattle drizzle. It's that gentle rain that refreshes and cools. And we're out there fishing and this cloud comes in and next thing you know, it starts raining on us, but as a gentle rain, the temperature dropped, the water cooled us down. He says, that's the picture here. If you feel dry and barren, when you return to the Lord and repent, he says, he restores by refreshing you. He will be like the blossom, like the lily. He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. The root provides stability if you feel like you're uh, unstable today. Verse six, his shoots will sprout. Again, those roots will sprout, giving the stability in life. His majesty or beauty will be like the olive tree. People will see it and admire it. They will see the work that God is doing in your life and they will see it in your life. And his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. That word fragrance is like the perfume or cologne. He says, it's going to be attractive. It's going to be desirable. It's going to change the atmosphere of the room when you walk in because God is doing a work in you. It's this picture of Psalm chapter one. Psalm one says, the one who walks in God's ways, one who fears the Lord will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He says, that's a picture. When you're unfaithful to God, the rivers dry up. But when you are faithful to him, he says, you'll be like that well-watered tree. Verse seven, those who live in his shadow will again raise grain. They'll have crops and beneficial things. Uh, and that word raise is that word shub again. They will return grain, producing grain. They'll be fruitful again. They will blossom like the vine. His fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. In Hosea chapter 10, verse one, it says that Israel has been unfaithful and they're like the scraggly vine, like a weedy vine. He says, now here it will be like that well-cultivated Vine with big grapes on it that people enjoy and fragrant, enjoy the fragrant aroma. There's point number three. No one is beyond the hope of restoration. No one is beyond the hope of restoration. Not because of you and I and our character. Not because of who we are, but simply because of who God is. 
He says here that verse four, I will heal their apostasy because he's the healer and I will love them freely because he's the lover and because my anger is turned away from them because he's the forgiver. Because of him, no one is beyond the hope of restoration. We will be like the trees planted by the rivers of water. My good friend, uh, Carol Vance, he's a former district attorney of Harris County. He has a book out. If you still have some summer reading to do, recommend his book highly. You can get it on Amazon, Boomtown DA. In this book, he talks about all the cases, the criminal cases he had while he was a district attorney here in Harris County. One of the most famous ones, if you've lived here long enough, you can remember the axe pick murderer, Carla Faye Tucker. Carla Faye Tucker, raised in a very broken home, introduced to drugs at a very, very young age. She started smoking weed at age eight. Introduced to much harder drugs at age 12. Entered into a life of prostitution at age 13. She became a groupie for a band with her mom. Boyfriend to boyfriend, drug to drug, constantly looking for love and for hope. One day, her boyfriend, she and her boyfriend attacked a couple and murdered them with a pickaxe. While waiting trial in the Harris County Jail, right down the street here, she went to chapel. This is how far she was from God and how far she was from even anything associated with church. She was invited by a pod mate to go to a chapel service. So she goes to chapel service, and here's the chaplain speaking about God and Jesus and all this stuff. A little bit curious, she has a Bible that she's been given. And this is what she says. She stole the Bible, thinking, oh, I got away with it. I stole the Bible, not knowing that the chaplain was like, you can have them. We want you to read the Bible. They're free. She goes back to her pod. She begins reading the Bible. And there she places her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she becomes a born-again believer. She goes to trial. And in trial, she's convicted and is sentenced to death. She spends life on death row, and Carol Vance tells me both in the book and also personally, such a radical transformation, such a radical restoration, that as she got closer and closer to when her sentence was to be executed, when she was to be executed, pastors and religious leaders and political leaders all asked that her sentence be changed from death to a life sentence because she became an evangelist there in the prison. God had so radically changed her life. And so one of the things that you may not know about me, I have been doing sports ministry for a long time, but I've been doing prison ministry for just as long. And one of the reasons why I love prison ministry is this, is because all of us in here have regrets. Amen? But very few of us have ever been to jail or prison for our regrets. But the men and women that I minister to, that God used me to minister to, they've got regrets and they're in prison. And for many, they have no hope. During the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, suicide attempts and suicides go on the rise because these men and women have hope. have no hope. They see no light at the end of the tunnel. And so we come in and the gospel gives hope. Your life may not get better tomorrow. Your life may not get better next year, but in eternity, Amen. all the sufferings and the pain and the darkness will quickly fade compared to the glory of eternity with Jesus Christ. And that's what Carla Fay experienced, and that's what Christ is offering to you today. Whether you're an unbeliever, you have not put your faith in Christ, or to you a believer who you feel like, I can barely keep my head above water. 
I'm battling anxiety and depression. I have no hope or I've misplaced hope. No one is beyond the hope of restoration. Here's a big idea for today. No one's beyond hope because Jesus is our loving and living hope. Jesus Christ is our loving and living hope. He gave his life so that you can enjoy the abundant life. He died and resurrected and now is ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father to give you hope. I'll give you a preview. I've been working on the 10th anniversary message and I'm looking at Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. And Jesus ascending into heaven. He's enveloped by the Shekinah glory cloud symbolizing this, that God has accepted him. And one day we will experience the exact same thing. No matter how broken and sinful you are, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, one day the glory cloud will envelop you. And you can have and rest your hope in that. So no one's beyond hope because Jesus is our loving and living hope. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity. So the call is to return, to shub, return to him. Stumbles repeated over and over again, but on top of that, love and return is repeated in Hosea, and it's a gentle whisper that if you are experiencing regrets, there's hope, y'all. And the hope is found in Jesus Christ. I love this verse. John 19.30. Jesus is dying on the cross. And he says, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. It's in the perfect tense, which means something that occurred in the past has ongoing results. What Jesus is saying is, you and I no longer have to work for reconciliation with God. You and I no longer have to work to be forgiven by God. You and I no longer have to be, uh, work to be embraced and received and welcomed by God. Why? Because Jesus Christ did the work. It is finished. I was reminded of that uh, as we returned to him this morning. I was sitting outside waiting to pray with our staff and our volunteers. And I noticed our coffee collective, the group that sets up the coffee. And I was sitting there waiting. And Kara Shu noticed this. She said, hey, look at them. So I see some coffee cups, a few. There's a coffee cup there, a coffee cup there. If you get coffee from here, there's something you need to know. You were able to freely take because someone did the work. We were sitting there, and our coffee cups come in this big box. And from the manufacturer, they come stacked together really, really tight. And so there are a group of guys out here that would take the cup off and put it on this thing. Work, take it off and put on this thing. Work, and put on this thing. And they would stack the cups gently and lightly so that by the time you got here, 30 minutes later, two and a half hours later, you could freely receive because someone else did the work. Before you even showed up on the scene, someone else did the work so that you could freely receive. You could fill up with coffee. Someone showed up before you got here, did all the work so that you could freely receive. It is finished.
So if you're in a dark place today, as a child of God, remember who your father is. Remember who your father is. Jesus Christ is our living hope. And if you've yet to put your faith in Christ, my friend, I ask and beg you that today be the day that you place your faith in Christ. He is and can be your living hope. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful. We're so grateful for this gentle whisper from Hosea today. As Hosea, King Hosea and the Israelites were about to enter into Assyrian captivity to become slaves and servants, to experience violence and torment like they've never experienced before, to experience darkness and destruction like they've never experienced before. Hosea gives God's people, he gives us a gentle whisper of hope. And God, Israel to this day has yet to return. 2,700 years later, they have yet to fully return. But one day in the millennial kingdom, they will return and experience restoration. So God, I pray now for everyone under the sound of my voice who's walking through a season of just darkness and even despair, who is uh, drowning in their regrets, drowning in anxiety, drowning in stress, wondering, is there a way out? There seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. God, would they return to Shub? through Jesus Christ, back to you. That their hearts would be captivated and overwhelmed by you. And God, for those today who have yet to place their faith in Christ, who are here today probably just sitting in the back, checking things out, wondering if there is lasting, eternal hope. that today be the day they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. God, we're grateful for Jesus, our living hope. No matter what troubles we face, no matter how dark the days, he is our living hope. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Uh, If you need prayer, I'm inviting our prayer team coming up on my right and my left. Uh, if you have the Bayou City Fellowship at Spring Branch app, you can also submit your prayer request if you're not comfortable asking for prayer personally this morning. They would love to pray for you. And if you say, hey, I want to return to the Lord. I want to go back to him. I need, I need hope. They're here to pray with you this morning.